This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News. COVID-19 Community Conversation with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. COVID-19 Community Conversation is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anin, hello, I'm Leah Lem, citizen of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, and I work in media and audio, focusing on sharing Native voices. And I'm Anthony Stately, enrolled member of the United Nation of Wisconsin and the descendant of the great Red Lake and White Earth Nations of Minnesota. I happen to also be the president and executive officer of the Native American Community Clinic. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwech and thank you all for joining us. How are you doing today, Leah? I'm doing great. Thank you, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing wonderfully. I love the weather right now and the leaves mm. are turning and like mm-hmm. this time of year, fall is like my favorite time of year. <laughs> Do you celebrate Halloween? Um, I don't know if you want to call it celebrate. My kids right. kind of take over the home and they're like, it's like their favorite. Um, it's not even a holiday technically, is it? But they treat it like it's a holiday. It's like their favorite holiday on the planet. So um, they'll drag yeah. me to like all of the haunts and they'll make me go to, you know, everything. And, um, you know, I begrudgingly do it. <sighs> well, know. that's nice. I know. I feel like, yeah, it, it's not necessarily holiday. It's like a way of life. During it October, is. yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and pumpkin spice. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> okay, so this week we are sharing a conversation. Uh, reporter Dalton Walker spoke with Melissa Wenz Opsel, who works with IHS as a vaccine consultant and has been a pharmacist with IHS for quite a while. So I'm looking forward to hearing them talk uh, and get into a bit more of the nitty-gritty of our topics today. We'll talk about booster shots. What is it and the importance of getting the booster for those who do need it. And we'll also hear more about where we're at with COVID vaccines for our younger children. But before we do that, I want to check in with you, Anthony, and see how things are going at the Native American Community Clinic. Things are going well there. You know, um, we're challenged by probably just by COVID, just like every other health system, um, you know, in the country, on the planet. Um, There's uh, been... um, the impact of sort of like what we would expect from a medical perspective of the pandemic, but there's also been a lot of unintended consequences as a result of it. Staffing shortages, you know, like I think we've had like nine or 10 job openings at the clinic now for like well over a month, right? So I, our little tiny clinic and big health systems are all kind of competing for the same people and it's, you know, it's quite a challenge. But, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping our head down and, 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 and staying focused and continuing to provide as best care as we possibly can to our relatives in South Minneapolis. So Yeah, and so you spoke about unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Has there been an issue at all with diverting resources from, you know, day-to-day operations like pre-COVID stuff and then now with covid it seems like it might be more difficult to, you know, take care of the other things that I need yeah. to take care of. The, you know, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month and, you know, mm-hmm. all these other screenings mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, other health issues that people have. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, we, um, we've been unable to do certain things like um, we partner with folks who have other health systems or who have the resources to be able to do things like bring in mobile vans for us to do things like breast cancer screening and vision screening for people who have um, type 1 diabetes or advanced diabetes, those kinds of things. And it's been challenging for us to be able to do that, right? Many of our partners are like, well, we don't really... Um, we're not really doing mobile vans right now. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. Or it's challenging for us to find other ways to get that accomplished. So people who have some fairly, you know, serious and persistent chronic illnesses are are struggling um, because not just SNAC, but others, uh, other, other folks aren't doing their sort of typical day-to-day things. Um, mm-hmm. So that's always a challenge. And then I think the other thing is, is that people who work in healthcare, they've had to sort of like, because of like the lack of resources, both human, fiscal and otherwise, they've had to do things like step outside of their, what's, what's typically considered to be, quote unquote, their normal parts of their roles, right? Um, and do additional things, which is on top of what they already do is really a big challenge, right? So that's kind of one of the things that's, I think, um, a big, a big uh, challenge for sure. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So our big topic of the day, well, one of the bigger topics of the day is booster shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you doing those at NAC? I think we've done a handful of them. We have, um, what we've been doing is we've been doing some outward facing messaging and letting people know that the booster shots are for Pfizer specifically, have been approved and that folks are able to come in and get a booster shot. The challenge for our clinic, I think specifically though, however, is that, um, you know, the the vaccine that we got early on back in um, December of 2020, when it kind of all rolled out and started is like our elder population. And we got the Moderna vaccine because it was it didn't require that cold storage. And, you know, we are a smaller operation and those kinds of things. So, Pretty much we used Moderna um, within the clinic all the way up to probably about the time, I would say maybe April-ish, May-ish when, you know, um, we were starting to be, when we were able to sort of pivot and find other ways to sort of get um, support to be able to provide the uh, Pfizer vaccine. So there's probably some people that qualify for it, meaning, you know, there are some really strict criteria around who qualifies, who doesn't qualify. But we started that process and we've been kind of encouraging people to like visit with their primary care doctors or talk to their primary care doctors if they have like that, you know, if they fit that age criteria and the other sets of criteria and they have questions about their chronic conditions or their underlying health conditions that would make them vulnerable, we're asking them to talk with their um, medical providers and then go from there. Okay. Well, we are going to to uh, switch gears here and pivot into the conversation between reporter Dalton Walker and Melissa Wentz-Opsel with IHS, and we're going to hear a bit more of uh, those specifics around the booster. So here they are. Bonjour. This is Dalton Walker. I'm from the Red Lake Nation. I'm a reporter, and I'm talking with Melissa Wentz-Upsel. Melissa is the Bemidji Area COVID vaccine point of contact. She's a pharmacist, and she has worked with the Indian Health Service for many years. So the booster 
what can you explain what that is? Is it like is it a third shot? Is it different than a regular Pfizer dose? Sure, that's a really common question that we get. And there is a difference between an additional dose and a booster dose. So uh, to clarify between the two, the additional dose is the term that we're using to supplement a patient who has an immune compromised system um, or has uh, immune compromised from for another reason. They may be on uh, high dose steroids, you know, or some other reason. So that additional dose is actually to add on to their two doses of their primary series. So for an immunocompromised person, they would intend to get three doses as their primary series. Now that's different than a booster. A booster is intended for those who did have a very good immune response at the beginning. They had no trouble developing that, but over time, that immunity has waned. Um, so we see that um, with other vaccines that we have um, available that you may get a booster dose from time to time. So this is very similar to that approach um, to, to kind of drive up that immunity that we had at one time but has since decreased. So for those who, who are eligible right now, why is, it, why is it important for them to get this third shot? Well, it's important to get this third shot to assure that they continue to maintain their protection against severe disease, hospitalization, and death as a result of COVID-19 disease. So what I'm hearing there is there is a difference between a booster shot and a three-dose primary series for a vaccine. So there is some uh, language and... um, uh, semantics, I suppose, with the differentiation between a booster and the primary dose. Yeah, I think, and I think there's a lot of people that are confused about that, and they're like, "Well, why would you? What's the difference? It's ultimately a third shot." And I think that to sort of the general pop- population and the public, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It would be confused about it, and it really is semantics when you think about it. It's like, so the third shot is an individual who didn't mount a significant enough or effective enough immune response for the two-dose series, they get a third shot to sort of kind of give them that extra oomph to be able to Mm -hmm. sort of um, spark a more robust response in their immune system to sort of um, take up the vaccine or take up the um, and, and and mount the response that your immune system sort of has in in, in reaction to a vaccination. Mm-hmm. The booster really is intended specifically for people who have who did have a, a good initial reaction, but over time they um, their immune system sort of like begins to sort of um, in, in in relationship to this specific virus. Um, tends to begin to sort of kind of wane. You can think of it as sort of like a waxing and a waning kind of a thing, right? So um, uh, people who have that type of sort of situation would be things like folks like who are elders, or who are old, who are much older Americans. Mm-hmm. It is generally sort of true of in the human beings as we get older, our immune system functions less more, less robustly. That's one of the reasons why we, you know, say older people are more likely to get like the flu and a number of other things that are virus related, right? Our our natural mm-hmm. immunity, our beauty, our immune system, just becomes less effective and less powerful and strong over our lifespan. Right. So 
just want to make sure that we understand that these booster shots are for those who are eligible for it. So we don't all just like run out <laughs> and go get um, another shot uh, unnecessarily. But right now it's for, you know, those who are eligible and need it. Don't run out and get it right away because there's all kinds of reasons why it doesn't make the most sense. The two-dose series for the majority of the population is very effective at keeping people safe, out of the hospital, and alive, right? I think that's a really important message to sort of tell people. Right. So as Melissa said, the significance of it is to keep the individual out of the hospital and to prevent that severe disease and death and mm -hmm. um, really, you know, comes down to protecting our communities. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a really important thing for us to be trying to achieve in this specific pandemic, right? So Yeah. Well, let's go back to their conversation. Has there been any issues, I guess, even in, in general, just getting people to get vaccinated? Well, vaccine hesitancy um, is not unique to COVID-19 vaccine. Um, we see that with all types of vaccines. Of course, with this particular vaccine campaign rollout, there is a number of hesitancies that folks may have just because we haven't um, ever had to vaccinate against this disease in the past. Um, however, we are very happy to report that overall, uh, American Indians and Alaska Natives have the highest vaccination rate throughout the United States. And partially, some of that was attributed to the understanding that because our Native population was at high risk for the disease, we were able to access vaccine early on. And the peak of our vaccinations occurred um, quite a bit sooner than that from the general U.S. population. So we are very dedicated uh, to our patient population and assuring that they have access to this very highly effective vaccine. I know in general, it seems like the younger people, adults, younger adults are not getting vaccinated as quickly as others. Is that true for Native people? Or is there any specific age range that are, tend to not get vaccinated, or at least on the fence about it? Right now, our lowest vaccinated age group is that adolescent population, that 12, uh, 12 to 17 age range. Um, but it is important to remember that they were the last group to be approved for the vaccine. We're currently awaiting for decisions on vaccinations that can go down to as low as age five years and up. But that has uh, you know, yet to be cleared by the CDC. So there, there could be a number of reluctances for folks um, awaiting until perhaps their entire family can get vaccinated all at one time. So we're waiting on those vaccines for our younger relatives, uh, those five through 11 years old. And, you know, I just want to point out what she, what Melissa mentioned earlier in that clip there is the vaccination rates for the Native population being pretty strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tribes did amazing jobs um, at sort of like getting their um, populations vaccinated quickly and rapidly and so much so that they, you know, a lot of them were making themselves and their public health systems available to the smaller towns and the and the counties that sort of like, um, you know, uh, were adjacent to them. And 
And in that way, we demonstrated like, you know, a primary value of who we are as Indigenous people of showing up and being a good relative, you know, and being thoughtful of, 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 of everyone's needs. And so that was awesome. We did a great job with that. We've done less a good job with the younger population, quite frankly. Mm. Right. So we just see lower rates of individuals in that sort of like definitely below the age of 18. We've had less uptake of the vaccine for kids um, 12 and above. And we've seen significant challenges in moving some of the needle between the 25 to 45 age bandwidth, right? Well, at least we can celebrate a little bit mm-hmm. for those good vaccination mm-hmm. rates. Um and hopefully we can bump up those numbers a little more for our younger relatives too. <laughs> yeah, and I think that she also made a good point where she said, like, well, they were among the last to be um, approved to get the vaccine. And so sometimes, you know, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, I think, why that, 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 that might be true. Um, everything from timing to like, you know, people's, um, you know, there's, I think, such a thing as COVID fatigue. Like people are just generally getting a little bit exhausted by it right so um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and that's understandable you're listening to a special edition of minnesota native news covid19 community conversations covid19 community conversations is supported by the minnesota department of health and today we've been talking about booster shots and vaccine rates now we're going to hear more about the specifics and what things are looking like right now with vaccines for our younger children. So let's go back to reporter Dalton Walker talking with Melissa Wansopsel with Indian Health Service. So the latest on vaccine for, for kids younger than 12 is still being like, is there any timetable or when that might be a bit available for families with young people? We're really following that very closely. Um, we don't have the exact timeline for that. Um, the FDA de- it is in receipt of Pfizer's um, data uh, to consider review of that information. And once they complete that review and produce their recommendation, that will again go to ACIP, which is the advisory council uh, of the CDC, um, to produce uh, their advisement to the CDC on it. Now, with that said, um, based on what we know is currently in the pipeline um, and the timelines of their past decisions, we're hopeful that that decision can come out sometime in the October to November timeframe. Any idea? Is it going to be the same dose anyone would get or is this going to be lower, lesser? Yeah, so for that so that age group, that 5 to 12-year-old age group, from what I understand, it is going to be a smaller dose than that of which we use for uh, patients that are 12 and up. Um, I don't have the um, available information to me to determine exactly what that dose is, um, but I can share um, that, they, that Pfizer in particular, uh, since that will be the product under review currently, they're developing, um, it's the same product, but they're developing different packaging um, for it so that it's much more easy to determine what the correct dose will be. So we won't be using the same packaging or, for, or um, vaccine that's currently available now in just using smaller amounts. They'll be pack- packaging it specifically for that pediatric population. 
So, Anthony, uh, do you have a reaction to what Melissa is saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that it's important to understand is that, generally speaking, you know, um, any any medicine or um, vaccination that we give to younger people versus adults always sort of like we, you know, we we um, accommodate the the impact on that person's sort of like. Um, immune system and constitution by sort of, you know, um, making it an appropriate sort of dosage, right? Like even mm-hmm. you, can, you can think of it in the same way as like, you know, if you're going to give yourself ibuprofen, you give yourself the four or six or 800 milligrams. You wouldn't give that to a child, mm-hmm. right? You'd follow mm-hmm. the prescription as suggested on the label. And so we give generally children under the age of 12, the lower dose of a medicine because we, 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 have studied it and we understand it to be effective, a low dose to be effective. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of reasons why that's true. One is, is that they are young. And, you know, if you remember smaller. when you were young, you're smaller, but you're also really <laughs> active and you're, you're eating all the time and you're drinking, I don't know, um, you know, half of a cow of milk a day. I don't know. My, at least that's <laughs> what my kids, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Like, I don't know how much vitamins are in Capri Sun, but. I mean, um, honest, organic <laughs> apple juice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'm sure that's what your children drink. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mine drink nothing with actual vitamins in it, but um, uh, but I think the point is is like when you're younger, you have a much stronger, more vibrant immune system, and um, usually if you don't have any chronic health conditions, right, and the ability to get that activated um, when you're that young um, and to stimulate it and to sort of kind of um, grow the response that you need um, generally takes a little less than it would for an adult or an older person. Mm-hmm. So the actual vaccine that the younger children are getting is the same, is the same formulation, it's just a different amount. Same formulation, same structure, you know, everything about it is the same. It's just a different dose, right. so a different amount. When we say dose, it means a different right. amount. And Melissa mentioned the packaging too. Yeah, I think that's really, that's a critical issue because like, you know, what we want to do is we don't want to have, you know, people standing in line to, and especially in larger vaccine events, standing in line trying to sort of like having people pull it out by the, with the you know, with the syringe, you know, trying to, you probably, you might oh, remember, yeah. I like don't checking know. Checking tiny numbers for like. <laughs> right? Like when I was <laughs> growing know. up in the 1960s and 70s, you had people pulling out you know, just the perfect amount. And then they'd have to like, you know, squeeze the little trigger and squirt make some out. of it squirt it out. You know, <laughs> the days of that yeah. doing that are just sort of kind of gone. Now the, mm. now the bottle that it comes in is the dose that you got to get. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we want to do that for kids because we want to make sure for sure that we're not giving them too much, right? That's a safety issue. Right. Melissa also mentioned that we're hopeful for an October, November timeframe for the Pfizer yeah, vaccine. yeah. I'm hearing lately, I've been hearing like the end of October, right? And I think there's wow. a, like there's thousands, if not millions of parents out there that are saying, oh God, yes, right. Just in time for Halloween and we can have like, the you know, everybody can bob for apples, you know, and safety. Oh <laughs> the kids don't have to have their own barrels. <laughs> well, that. And it also makes it difficult to bob for apples if you're wearing a mask. So... Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why it makes sense. So yeah, I mean, think of that. You got to have that in mind for motivation. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna round out our conversation today 
with one more bit of that conversation between reporter Dalton Walker and Melissa Wens Opsel. So let's hear what she has to say. What about the overall message? Um, just from my my experience in talking with people, parents kind of defend our protector, your young ones, a little more, but will the overall message change regarding vaccine safety and why it's important to get the vaccine once it comes available for the little little ones? Yeah, our message is the same. And, and this is true for other vaccines in which our younger kids um, cannot have due to their age for some other reason. The only way to protect them if they're unable to be vaccinated is to vaccinate those that are around them. What's the best advice to give to, I guess, to people who aren't eligible right now or what they can do to protect themselves? The best thing that you could do right now if you're not eligible to receive um, either a booster dose yet, depending on the type of vaccine that you received prior, or if you're not yet in the age range to receive COVID-19 vaccine, is all of the things that we were doing prior to the availability of COVID-19 vaccine, such as wearing a mask, frequent hand washing, staying away from others who are sick, staying away from your work or your school if you yourself are sick, according to CDC recommendations. And then, of course, social distancing, which is going to be extremely important for us as we consider, you know, our area specifically moving into the fall and winter months. You know, we naturally are going to be much closer together and indoors than the freedoms that we had during the summer. Okay. Melissa Wenzopsel with a few recommendations in case you can't get the booster or you're out of the age range for the vaccine, kind of those tried and true methods that we were using before the vaccine was available. And those are really important to do. Um, it's really important to remind parents and kids who are going back to school, if you're in the school, if you're especially in that age range where they can't get the vaccine, or if you're in a community where there's a high, um, uh, a high sort of uptake of the vaccine within that population, I think it would be really wise for parents and children to sort of kind of work together to make sure that they're wearing um, masks and social distancing when all, at all possible. And I definitely know personally that is a significant challenge. I've already had my son, um, you know, present with some um, COVID, you know, some some mild COVID-like symptoms and I panicked, right, and taken him off to the doctor and kept him out of school one day. He failed a algebra exam because of it and all these other things, all these un- unintended consequences of people not thinking about wearing masks in school. Like he's telling me like nobody in his class wears masks, right? And, and um, you know, and I'm glad that he and his brother are vaccinated, but they're they're in one of the largest high schools in the state of Minnesota, Prior Lake, right? And got 2,900 kids and plus in that school. And they have, um, and the, the classrooms are packed with kids. And so like when parents and, um, and, and, you know, teenagers aren't really thinking through like, you know, oh, I should wear a mask and I should be thoughtful and try to protect others. If I have a little cough or a sneeze, even if I think it's a cold, is to be thoughtful and mindful and sort of like, you know, do what you need to do to protect 
both your child and other people and and the teachers. And I think the teachers have to think about that as well. And so we have a lot of work to still do. Uh, I know people want to get back to life as normal. And the route to getting back to life as normal is vaccinate when you're able to. Absolutely do that. Mask when you're in situations where people are close together. And, um, you know, social distance when you can't do that. All right. Well, thank you, Anthony Stately, for chatting today. As always, it's a pleasure. Well, thank you. And Jimmy Goich to reporter Dalton Walker and Melissa Wenz Opsel with Indian Health Service. And thank you for listening today, Jimmy Goich. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem, Gigawabaman, and I wish you health. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.